Hey friends, this is just a quick disclaimer. This week on the podcast while recording we had some interference crop up, so you will hear some static during some segments of the show. We're not entirely sure where the static came from, we didn't hear it while we were recording. Uh, and while I was able to minimize it, I wasn't able to eliminate it completely. So I hope you enjoy the show otherwise, and apologies for the weird audio quality ticks. And now, here is the show. Greetings, programs. Welcome to the awesome Friday podcast for the week of April the 9th. 10th. It's the 10th. We're recording on the 9th, but it's the 10th. This week we're talking about two new things, as we always do. Uh, my name is Matthew, and with me is Simon. Say hello, Simon. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. I'm glad we've cleared the date up. That's very important. I hope you're I all mean, well today. I mean, it's very important to have a sense of place and time, and I feel like it's important that I set that place and time. It's true. I always find sense. it. I always <laughs> find it very strange at Christmas time. I like I like to watch the British Broadcasting Corporation at Christmas time, um, and all of their regular shows have like pre-recorded Christmas shows which they record like months ahead of time. And I, and I like, enjoy watching them, but there's this strange thing because they all have live audiences where they are, they're all lying. They're all like, Merry Christmas. Did you have a good morning? Like, yes, we did. And they filmed this in like September. And so, yeah, that's um, normal. Just, well, we do that here too. Most of the like comedy shows record their Christmas specials in September, October. Just find it. I just find uh, it's another example of the, 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 the open willingness to believe what you're told when you watch something on TV. That's why I always enjoy like people like I watched Lord of the Rings and there was a fight at nighttime and it was far too light. Where was the light coming from? <laughs> like, do you know where the light's coming from? It's coming from fantasy land. Like actually, what? that's actually my favorite, one of my favorite anecdotes about the, very specifically this, I don't know if this is where you're coming from, but one of my very favorite um, anecdotes about the Lord of the Rings is that during the setup and pre-production for that movie, and very specifically during the setup and pre-production for the battle at Helm's Deep, they're setting up all the people on the on the battlements, and they're setting up this lighting rig. And someone asked the pr- production designer, "Where's all that light coming from?" And apparently, he said, "Same place as the music." <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, right. <laughs> It's like it's like um, the speed of hyperspace in science fiction it is like uh, hyperspace is, is the what, what's the famous quote? Hyperspace is the speed the speed of the story, like the speed of the narrative. Um, it's the speed. That's why there's multiple warp factors. It's whichever one, you, whichever right. one the narrative requires. <laughs> I like that. I always enjoy the point at which uh, people believe something until they just can't understand like where's the lighting coming from like the orcs are fine the elves are fine but the lighting oh that's a problem (laughs) i mean it all comes from this place of um i think it's more prevalent recently but all these the 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 place where people tend to look at movies as a puzzle to be solved rather than a thing to be enjoyed and uh you know the cinema sins model who which i hate oh god let's not get even to cinema sins that makes me so angry not just like some of the supposed sins are completely wrong in their name, but just it's the completely wrong way to approach a movie. Yeah, and I think lots of people do it that way now, and it's it's a problem. There was a I, I tweeted something earlier this week. I just quote tweeted someone, and my comment was that you know we need to do a better job educating media literacy. And it was because this guy posted something about how he thought that children writing stories with conflict in them was wrong. <laughs> 
and that his his kids write perfectly good stuff without conflict at all. And I was like, no, they no, they don't. They just don't. That's not how that's not how storytelling works. You can't write a like this person fundamentally disagree. Doesn't seem to understand what conflict is in a story. Maybe he thought conflict was like fighting of fisticuffs. I mean, that's clearly it, right? He clearly thought that conflict meant violence as opposed to like narrative conflict like any obstacle to the protagonist sorting out their problem did you do you know something i learned as a drama teacher i learned very late into my drama teaching uh, career that the word drama is greek and it means something happens did you know that no but it tracks yeah the word drama like means something happens so i i found that very useful and interesting i it's it's the conflict oh no let's not get into conflict in writing we're not not here to talk about that i was about to go off on one but no i'm not in a classroom so no (laughs) well uh this week on the podcast we are going back to our usual format of talking about two different things we're talking about the latest disaster porn epic by roland emmerich moonfall and then we'll be following that up with a discussion of the latest uh hbo max in the states crave series here in canada our flag means death from the uh, taika watiti and the people who did uh, what we do in the shadows and uh spoiler alert i believe we both like them both it's gonna be a love fest just like if if you're up for it we're up for it basically <laughs> yeah so i think we're gonna dive into that right now and uh let's start with moonfall i think mm. and here's here's the premise of moonfall and uh, <laughs> well basically it? what what if the moon fell and that's that's actually pretty that's as deep as it gets that's people. it that's it um basically <laughs> i mean there's there's nothing else to say as the resident out of both of us which one of us has been directly directed by roland emmerich and more furthermore which one of us has been told to act less by roland emmerich which i believe is a badge of honor um because roland emmerich is not known for his subtlety um, but I uh, I got to see it firsthand on the set of 2012 when I was in 2012. Um, I perhaps was too realistic for him. I don't think he was ready for my method acting. I was employing some Jared Leto tricks that I've picked up. Yeah, I'm um, sure that was uh, it. I'm sure that was it. <laughs> so what the, the, we talked about this um, acceptance when you're going to watch a movie, this acceptance that you are going to believe what you see, that you you have to forget the fact that you know you're watching sets and you know you, you these recognizable actors. So there's a, the main part of your brain knows that it's not real. So you have to be able to turn that off. And there's lots of studies into this willful like abandonment of reality so we can enjoy something. Yeah, my, thing, my, favorite, about... my favorite way it's been put was, uh, I believe it was an interview for Men in Black back in the day. Someone asked Tommy Lee Jones about the believability of the story, and he, he called it the, the gleeful suspension of disbelief. Yes. <laughs> and the thing about Roland Emmerich is that you've just got to do that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. And if you can get on board with his style of like disaster movie, and really there's not many people who make a better disaster movie than Roland Emmerich, if you can get on board with that, then you are going to have a really good time because this isn't just suspension of disbelief. This is taking your belief, putting it in a box and, and wrapping it uh, in like sticky tape and then chaining it to a brick and throwing it in the ocean and you never see your disbelief again. It's There are so many stupid things in this film. In fact, you saw this a couple of days before me and you just kept sending me texts like, 
All right. You know when I said you're not going to believe the last thing? You are definitely not going to believe the crazy shit that comes in this movie. And uh, you were right. It's fantastic. And there's so, like, this is not a movie that cares about whether you can justify the physics of this movie. In fact, there's there's one moment, like, they specifically wanted the moon to do a thing, but the moon wouldn't do that thing if it got close to Earth. So they were just like, well, it's just, it's it's heavier then <laughs> that's why it's doing it. It's like, oh, okay, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll, ch- yeah. I'll chalk that up. I'll chalk that up on the uh, list. So, so I, th- I think a fuller synopsis of this film is that uh, Patrick Wilson plays an ex astronaut who, in his last mission, was attacked by something in space, and he claimed he was attacked, but no one else saw it, and he was basically laughed out of NASA. And now the moon is out of orbit, and he gets to come back and say, "Aha! I told you so." And uh, the guy who played, oh, I really feel like a jerk now because I, like I always do, have forgotten his name. John Bradley, who was in Game of Thrones, is a quote oh, mega structuralist who <laughs> believes that the moon is a hollow construct placed there by aliens. Gets to have his aha moment when that is revealed to be true. <laughs> <laughs> and Halle Berry plays uh, the boss of NASA. And they have to go to the moon to figure out why it's going out of orbit and basically like restart the moon, if you will. <laughs> it sounds so stupid when you say it, and it feels so I mean, stupid when you watch it. But it's yeah. just so gloriously it's 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 the closest you're going to get to like a fairground ride as a movie. There's and no... yeah, this is definitely definitely a film that. Yeah, I mean, just approach it on its own terms, man. Like, on the one hand, it's stupid. On the other hand, you're going to get to see a space shuttle launch through a tsunami. Oh, this my is, God. And that's not even, yeah. like, the third most bug nuts thing that happens in it. Like, it is completely <laughs> off the rails the whole time, but in the best way possible. I don't know who needs to hear this, but Roland Emmerich makes ridiculous movies. And I'm generally here for it, you know? Like, it's when he tries to get serious that I don't really like his work. It's, uh, you know, but give me, give me the independence days and the 2012s and the, the days after tomorrow and this, and I'm, I'm into it. And so, and to be fair, some of the effects are immaculate. Like a lot of the moon effects, a lot of the stuff that happens on and quote in the moon, the effects are spectacular. Um, really great compositing of digital effects, really just pristine digital effects, like it's all really, really, really well put together, um, and you really have you know Patrick Wilson who really buys into the role and really sells what's happening, and you know seems to both understand how ridiculous it is, but that we need to be able to believe it. He's really good at that. You, I think that's the key with this kind of movie that you absolutely need actors who act like this is real. And yeah, I think another good example of Patrick Wilson selling that is when he was uh, he played Ocean Master in Aquaman, which is a fundamentally ridiculous oh. part. And right, right, yeah. but like he sells the shit out of it the whole time. Yeah. And the same is true here. <laughs> oh, he's, oh, it is. Yeah. And John Bradley plays the same kind of character that he played in Game of Thrones, like, you know, kind of timid, kind of uh, I'm a coward uh, type thing. But it works. You know, he's the nerdy, nerdy comic relief and Halle Berry plays the, the badass boss bitch and they all go to space together and they have a transcendental experience. And it's just 
wonderful. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite nice, actually, that John Bradley's playing a part that usually would be on the side. He'd be like the best friend, the kooky, like English best friend to go, all right, mate, what's up? Amongst all the other, like, oh, the moon's falling, bloody hell. And I really like, actually, uh, Halle Berry's character and Patrick Wilson's character have this kind of, they're clearly old friends, but they've they've never been romantic with each other because the yeah the very very beginning has them talk about the wedding. He went to her wedding, blah blah blah, and their their relationship actually changes a lot, like twice during this movie. And so I I really liked, especially like I thought Halle Berry was fantastic, and she's fifty five now, and she I don't think she's ever looked better on screen. And in this, she's. She's not wearing it, as far as I can tell. She's not wearing any makeup that would make you think she's wearing a lot of makeup. Like she's not made up like she was in her like modern days and and back then. But she's she's really commanding, and I thought I thought that in John Wick um, three was it three she was in? Yeah, part three. But I think she's even better in this. Like she's got a lot of screen presence, and she's got like clearly she's got some action shots as well. I really really would love this to be like. Halle Berry Renaissance as older woman, um, because she looks spectacular as well. She's just so beautiful. So she's she's great in this, and I I like the dynamic of the characters and how they take each other seriously as well. And just when all this bonkers shit is going on, they believe in it, and they are like scrambling to rescue people up flooded stairways and. Like, as you mentioned, fly a rocket through a, a tsunami. And you the, the nice thing about moments like that is that you know they're going to make it. You know, you just, there's no chance the movie's going to go, and they all died. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, <true>. So, so <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you know it's coming, but it comes right, right, right at the last second. And there's like, we go back to moaning about the Oscars for editing, but a film like this only works when it's edited to the right musical beats. Like it's, it's Emmerich knows how to write a musical (laughs) like this thing has got the bones of a musical, just no music in it. Well, that they sing anyway. And, um, well, it's sort of like action movies, right? They both need to action movies and musicals both need to function on a a sort of rhythm. Yeah. And, uh, it's never a surprise when a director of one is good at directing the other. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And yeah, so, I, I mean, I, everyone else in the movie is pretty good too. I do think it's we should probably at least briefly talk about how this movie was funded by uh, China, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's really fascinating how narratives are changing as yeah, more I didn't, I didn't really Chinese notice. money's filtered in. What's that? I didn't really notice the Chinese influence in the narrative at all. Like, oh, I mean, why? except for the you know <laughs> gratuitously Chinese character and language drops and all that kind of stuff. Which, to be fair, doesn't not work in the narrative. It's not like, I guess gratuitous is the wrong word, but there's a Chinese-speaking character who doesn't serve a ton of plot importance. If if you've seen the, uh, not DBC, uh, The Meg, right? If any of you have seen The Meg. And, Which, by the way, you should definitely have seen The Meg. Oh, The Meg is fantastic. But there's a Chinese scientist in there who kind of saves the day and... If you watched that and felt, wow, it really feels like that was maybe tacked on, like rewritten after the Chinese funding came in to show this Chinese character saving the Americans and being like good, then this feels exactly the same. Like <laughs> you, you've got there's no like over reason. It's she's just 
there and it's you can almost see the layers being written in like oh we've got money from tencent or whoever so and the deal is prominent chinese characters speaking mandarin and in sections having massive uh positive influence and maybe even saving a few of them and it and and teaching the there's a child Halle Berry's character has a child that's learning Mandarin from this character as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, th there's always scenes about Americans and uh, looking after the Chinese and the Chinese saving the Americans and the um, it, it does feel a little bit uh, layered, shall we say? Mm -hmm. um, but you're right. Like watching this, the not just the Chinese funding, but the importance of the Chinese market has massively um increased over the last like 10 years and it's really really interesting to me to watch american movie narratives change for this new market and how much stars are doing to be part of that new market as well like john cena is learning mandarin specifically to appeal more to that market so i find that really interesting mm -hmm. sucks that china is a humanitarian nightmare but well, it is interesting the there the influence their culture is currently ex exerting over so yeah. that's the that's the problem, isn't it? Like, what the, this new market that is extremely lucrative, that is giving you tons of money. I mean, it's money for influence, isn't it? It's influencing the narrative to to help people see China in a better light. And then on the flip side, you've got this terrible, terrible human uh, rights violations and religious violations and documented proof of like re-educating farms for muslims and, right. and ongoing and ongoing genocide of the weakers and, and that's without even talking about taiwan and hong kong and tibet and like we all know them they all know where the money's coming from so the fact that many of these western companies disney especially are putting a lot of um they're taking a lot of money, like, and not really asking any questions. I think, I wonder if that's going to come to a bigger head at some point. I mean, I think it must at some point, right? Like, or maybe so. not. I mean, I mean, I'd hope so, but know. also maybe not. Like it's, uh, you know, we don't, you we don't do so, a great job with media literacy. So maybe we just won't. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's it's definitely a case of it used to be that it'd just be inserted Chinese characters and now there's definitely like important aspects of the narrative that are overtly Chinese and it's that's not again not in itself a problem uh, I think there's but it's just that the backing for that is a is a problem it's, like a, it's a it's a situation we'll say there's so many elements of Chinese culture that are interesting from a filmic point of view and. Chinese cinema can be very, very interesting, but it, it, when when you're engaging with anything from that industry, um, then you you are indirectly supporting what they're doing, like politically. And I don't I don't know how that balances. And and the when those cultural elements that are so different from Western society, I mean that's the point. When they're brought into a Western narrative, they really, really stand out. But this isn't just, I mean, it's not comparable. But in Japan at the moment, a major film director has had a number of sexual um, abuse allegations against him. And mm -hmm. the Japanese film industry is not addressing it at all. Like, zero. 
Yeah, for um, the record, he's talking about uh, Sion Sono, I believe his name is. I don't, I don't know. He, um, he most recently directed Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of the Ghostland, which is making the rounds right now. But turns out he's been abusive for ever. <laughs> uh, and it's a, sadly one of those cases, too, of like a really singular esoteric artist turning out to be a complete abusive douche. Uh, it's not exactly the same thing, but like it's definitely there's definitely something to be said for separating art from artist, but it's I find it quite difficult at times. And I do find it interestingly, I think I find it less difficult with Chinese funding than I do with watching something directly mm. made mm. by someone who's terrible. Yeah. Like I had a I much mean, easier they... time watching Moonfall than I do watching anything with Kevin Spacey in it at this point. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. I don't know. The industry the industry as a whole is seems to be very very willing to take the money until somebody like slaps someone on their golden tv show and then suddenly they're banned for 10 years that's hey how how long how long was kevin spacey's banned for from the oscars did you i i I missed that bit of information uh i know you're leading into a joke but i'm trying to think if they actually banned him or not i don't know if they did no they didn't and not as far as i know Uh, do you know anyone else who's been banned from the academy for has, did I mean, honestly, if they, were, if they were if they were going to ban any, everyone from the Academy who turned out to be a bad person, they would have to ban most of the Academy. <laughs> I think in this particular case, the difference is that Will Smith did it on the show. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? It's the thing. He, oh, he, I'm he sure it doesn't rule, help. Like... I'm sure it doesn't help that he's African American. But I think no. if he slapped Chris Rock like the next day, I don't think he'd be banned from the Academy. No, of you know? course not. He broke the golden rule, which is uh, do, all this shit is done off camera. And not on our special TV show. Like, they weren't going to let that lie. No, anyway, for sure not. Anyway, that's very, very much, much like, like a movie. <laughs> um, what's the stupidest part of this movie for you? Spoilers. Choose one most idiotic part that you loved. Uh, I mean, I think I already said it. My favorite part is when they launch, <laughs> they launch a space shuttle without on two engines instead of three and they're able to do it because the moon has fallen so close to the earth but the moon is so close to the earth that it's also causing a tsunami that they have to launch through (laughs) (laughs) um mine is tied between um the moon the moon can't do that that means it must be heavier (laughs) oh the structure makes it heavier and the uh, spoiler when they save the day and this is not a spoiler because of course they save the day the moon is very close to earth at this point and it's going round and round our whole planet really quickly like every 20 minutes and they fly their spaceship about and they land like they they fly out of the moon and then hit the parachutes and they land exactly where the rest of the cast is in the whole planet like surprise i mean <laughs> that's just good timing that's the, that's just good timing that was on purpose oh of course of yeah. course it was um but i wouldn't expect anything less from a movie like this i'm not interested in reality or scientific no. accuracy in a movie like this i want to be I, entertained i do wish there was a there was a lot less i do wish there was nowhere near as much elon musk worship in this film because i kind of hate that guy now and oh, this movie Andy, does go out of its um, way to like talk about how great he is a couple of times, and it really bugged me. It does, and the it clearly got sponsored by that um, Kaplinsky, like the the guy who is oh, now like very much in trouble 
didn't he get arrested or something? The oh, you're thinking him? you're thinking of McAfee, but the movie's clearly sponsored by Kaspersky, which is a oh, uh, yeah, really you. interesting timing now because Kaspersky is a, a Russian cybersecurity firm. <laughs> which so it makes total sense that like they would use Kaspersky on the space station and the <laughs> shuttle. <laughs> but the um the the product placement is part of the fun as well. Now I I wonder if they they make it a thing now because apart from that name being on every computer screen there's one moment there's one like extended car chase if you like through an exploding road that is the best lexus commercial you've ever seen in your life like it is i mean don't undersell it they're it's they're driving down an like (laughs) a road a road that's breaking apart because of the gravitational pull of a too close moon whilst cars (laughs) explode around them and rednecks chase them with guns and the cars I mean, are still affected by gravity like it's normal, but the road is floating up. So the cars are like jumping on bits of road. So the cars <laughs> have their own like specific gravitational field, but everything else is floating. Like giant chunks of masonry are floating up to the moon, but the cars are landing like on the bits of road. Amazing. I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a physicist out there who's going to tell us <laughs> that like, maybe you know, the, the, the chunks of road have more mass and as such are affected greater. But honestly, even if that were true, and I'm not a scientist, I don't know if what I just said makes sense or not, but I don't care because it was fun. <laughs> it really, really was. But the, there's one point where the, this Lexus kind of emerges skidding out of this uh, like a wall of smoke and it comes through and it's lit with this beautiful blue light and it sort of comes to a halt and the camera is at bonnet hu- I'm sorry what's the word here hood height <laughs> <laughs> and the camera like pans in on the lexus symbol like glistening with a little bit of water running down it you're like oh that's kind of hot i kind of want to like <laughs> wow and uh, the whole chase is like yeah fuck yeah lexus oh it's just amazing I would watch that. That's the kind of movie that if you're really tired and your brain's tired, oh, I don't know what to watch. I just want to watch something that, oh, Moonfall. Okay. Yeah. Or Moonfall if you're wide good. awake and want something fun. If you if you like Roland Emmerich stuff, this I would argue this, I think I said last week, this is the most Roland Emmerich that he's ever Roland Emmerich. And it has everything. It has unfeasible natural disasters. It has crazy conspiracy theories. It has almost accurate but probably bunk science it has a family <laughs> that's broken being healed through disaster there's it has uh, a moon it has an internal moon structure that is full of kick-ass future lo- looking spaceships that have been there for like billions of years ready for the human race to fly them and they never fly them they're just there no one ever touches them. Where they need a spaceship at one point, and they they just fly their own spaceship. Like, well, to be fair, not? they fly their own spaceship after the moon automatically rebuilds. Fantastic. <laughs> so why? Because they needed it to be rebuilt, so the moon can rebuild it. This is the kind of it's a drinking game script where you all go around in a circle and add like stupid ideas to a stupid idea. And if if you're into that, it it works. It really works. Yeah. So what are you going to give this movie out of five, Simon? Oh, this is a five out of five. Come on. <laughs> Let's not be around the bush. This is this is five moons falling on five parallel Earths at the same time. <laughs> I appreciate your commitment to the bit. Uh, I mean, it's a solid <laughs> three out of five for me. Um, I mean, but that's not a that's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's a fun movie. It's not a particularly deep movie, but it is a fun movie. And I enjoyed it very much.
I would say, like, if we look at his filmography, it's it's, it's pretty amazing high gloss B movie trash, and I I enjoyed yeah. it in those terms. It's like Independence Day without all the deep bits. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> but so not our, like I think, not like Resurgence. No, I think this comes down to us both saying, yeah, you should definitely watch Moonfall. I don't know where it's available in the States, but it's on Amazon Prime here in Canada. It's on Prime. It's on, yeah. it's on Prime everywhere. It's on Prime everywhere. That makes sense. I feel like um, it was I feel like it was made for Prime. I feel like they gave it like how long was it in the theater for? Maybe a week, maybe two weeks. Like, so no, it came out in it came out in February, so you know, two months, give or take. <laughs> you know, forty five day theatrical window, man. That's the future. All right. So now that we've gotten Moonfall out of the way, which again you should totally watch, let's talk about our flag means death. And Simon, why don't you take us through the basics of this one? Um, as, so as fl- few as few spoilers as possible. Uh, um. So apparently it's based on real people that I didn't know until quite recently, but a uh, 18th, 18th century, 19th century, uh, upper class gentleman um, has a midlife crisis and leaves behind all his money and very posh upbringing and wife and children to become a pirate. And he knows, he knows as much about pirating as I do about baseball. Um, and so he buys a ship, which he calls the Revenge, and he sets sail and basically has a ragtag crew and learns about pirating as he tries to be a pirate. And uh, he runs into um, another pirate uh, um, who is famously Blackbeard, and he learns about pirating from Blackbeard, and Blackbeard learns about aristocratic life in England or New Zealand or wherever he's meant to be from from steed he's meant to be uh steve bonnet so the the pirate we're talking about his name is steve bonnet he was a uh, sort of i don't think it was quite what you would call a wealthy landowner but he was a landowner and he left his life uh for a life of piracy and yes early 18th century quite a famous pirate actually um and uh contemporary of edward teach also known as uh blackbeard and uh he i think he's he's technically british but i believe he was born in um like one of the colonies like he's from barbados right. or something he's Bar- okay. barbadian and yeah pirates of the caribbean but uh hilarious basically <laughs> so it's a it's a show about kindness and companionship dressed up as a pirate show but it is one of the mar- most like heartfelt programs you you're gonna see in a long time it's my favorite comedy show since what we do in the shadows easily and it's it's got some very modern sort of language delivery, but with very old fashioned settings. And it's if you like that Taika Watiki style of delivery, I think you're going to love this. Like I adore this show, and I know for you it took you a, t- a few episodes to get into it. What what wasn't working for you at the beginning? I don't know exactly. It did take me like I watched the first. I got about halfway through the first one and I turned it off. Like I just wasn't in the mood. And eventually I came back to to try it again. And I'm glad that I did, because after I watched the, the remainder of the first one and all of the second one, I then binged the rest of it in about two days. <laughs> yeah. And because uh, it was all available. It's all available at this point on HBO Max in the States and on Crave up here in Canada. Um, and it's just, uh, I think it's just a wonderful 
show really it's difficult to talk about it without spoilers and i do feel like it would be more impactful if you don't have them um because of the way the narrative unfolds but it is a it's a very funny show featuring very funny people and it is like like you said actually it's a very much a show about kindness and companionship and you know chosen family and all of those things and it's a very sweet show it's mm, very it really is very hard on its sleeve, very, you know, it's, it, it's being sold as this sort of, you know, bumbling fool type show, but it's really not, I mean, Steve Bonnet, the character Steve Bonnet, um, is that, don't get me wrong, he's, you know, he's completely out of his element, that's true, um, but that's not the point of the show, it does make for some comedy, um, but, it's, you know, him learning from Blackbeard and Blackbeard learning from him. And Blackbeard doesn't even show up until episode three, three or four? Three. three. Right at the end of three. Yeah. Right. And um, and it's a clear, like, build-up that they're they're going to meet one another. And, you know, when they do, they, they end up having this, uh, this relationship where they're learning about each other's lives. Like, Blackbeard wants to become a bit more posh and uh, Steed wants to become you know, a little more pirate and they learn from one another. And it's just, it's, it's a very delightful show and watching really, their impact on one another is just delightful. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's nice where you, you have these two men on completely opposite ends of the spectrum, both having a midlife crisis and sort of meeting each other in the middle. And it's just, I don't know. It, it is hard to talk much more about it. You can probably gather what we're alluding to, but it's, it's it is a comedy, but there's so many moments of real emotional pathos that work brilliantly. Like when you've got a show like this that is kind of stupid to begin with, because Reese Darby, who's very very good at playing this kind of bumbling, um, uh, like he's from New Zealand, but it's this very British style sort of bumbling idiot, and he's he he has done it in a few other shows as well. Um, werewolves, not swearwolves. Uh, but he, 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 throughout the episodes, is just, I, I've never seen him act in anything like this nuanced as well. And Taika Watiki is a fantastic actor, particularly in the, the latter half of the season, where he's really called on to do some very subtle emotional work and really give himself to it. He's just incredible, really incredible. And it makes the whole thing just feel so much more, right, than just a comedy show. It's very tempting to think this is like what we do in the shadows. That's It's largely stupid, but funny stupid. It's, it's really not. It's brilliantly written. And we haven't even talked about the direction yet. The, there's a needle drop at the end of episode eight. There's a piece of music used when one group <laughs> boards another group and it is so brilliantly directed the whole thing is really interestingly directed anyway because they use a lot of close-up shots and lots of kind of views of people obscured by sails and things it's really interesting when you notice it it's a really interesting um directing technique that is not very common and i think it works brilliantly but in terms of the geography of the ship and the uh, when they put anything to music, and there's a lot of music in it as well, it's just brilliantly done. 
like fantastically directed and it breaks my heart that there's so many questions over whether it's going to be renewed or not because there's no other show that i've seen that has this humor this intelligence uh, that is genuinely empathy right right it's genuinely funny has so much to say at a time where we really need to say like so many people are feeling isolated at the moment and one of the main themes of this as well is like male companionship. Like males are not, men are not kind of allowed to experience companionship in the same way that women are. We're just not. And to see something that really focuses on like free male companionship, both like uh, um, uh, attracted to, and but or just platonic or just, like you were saying, a chosen family. It's really refreshing. I just loved it. I loved it so much. I love this show so much. I can't even, yeah. I can't even, it's been so, it's so fresh for me as well. I only finished watching a few hours ago and I just haven't seen anything this good in so long. And yeah, it, I, worry, it, I worry that it's kind of maybe too much of a, of an ask for, you know, for the audiences that would normally watch something like what we do in the shadows, which is to be fair, it's not as shallow as like it's actually some very deep parts. And Taika Waititi and that whole group are very good at sneaking meaning into things. But there's a lot about the show that is, I think, probably a bigger ask than, and to be fair, should not be, but is a yeah. bigger ask for certain groups of people. Yeah. And it's also just not. Like not really the show that it's being advertised as, uh, or at least yeah. of the marketing that I've seen. And they're, they're, I sort of wonder yeah. that it's not hitting because of that. Um, but it's also like, like you're like saying, it's just super good. And everyone in it is good. The whole supporting cast, and I would like to, to particularly highlight, um, I mean, everyone. Like Christian Nairn, who you probably know from Game of Thrones, who's Hodor, plays, you know, this huge brute of a man who's actually quite tender but also a pyromaniac <laughs> and, <laughs> and and it's sort of wonderful especially after his turn like you sort of know he could do that from game of thrones um uh samson ko i believe his name is and uh joel fry play have a great yeah. episode together where they are grifting a bunch of aristocrat aristocrats. Oh, Ewan Bremner so plays the the type of like bonkers, lovable, wacky that only Ewan Bremner can play. <laughs> um, who else? Um, Matthew May Matthew Mayer is Black Pete. I love like the evolution of his character as well, and there are lots oh, of surprising yeah. surprising moments, especially with Matthew Mayer's like character at one point has a pretty major story movement of revelation. And it just, I, like you say, there's going to be moments in this that a certain subset of people are going to just turn off instantly because it's not that the main part of this story is going to be challenging for people who are not comfortable watching certain relationships happen. And or even that is like, dreadfully a... sad, I think. There's a wonderful character called Jim, played by Vico Ortiz. and they are a non-binary person uh, in real life and they play a, per a woman masquerading as a man in the show. And that the whole storyline there is also, um, they have a great relationship. A, I really appreciate that the entire crew just uses they, them pronouns the whole time after it comes out that they're mm -hmm. not 
a man. <laughs> um, and they have some some really great relationships with the rest of the crew. Um, mm-hmm. It's yeah, everything about it is so wonderful and accepting. And and then you have like the few antagonists of the show, like uh, what's the guy who plays Izzy Hands? Oh, um, it's Izzy. Uh, Con Con O'Neill is plays Izzy Hands, uh, and he plays a sort of wonderful, frustrated very competent person who's sort of in Blackbeard's shadow. Um, and he does a wonderful job. Uh, and then you get Rory Kinnear who plays uh, twin British naval captains. Um, and like, we don't really appreciate Rory Kinnear in his time, but he is, he's a great actor. He's a great comedic performer. And I feel like he just needs some appreciation. Everyone in the show is great. So. And uh, as it, it ensemble pieces are very very hard to write and very hard to direct because it's really hard to kind of make everyone stand out from each other so you can track who's who what their relationship is what they're doing if you see a face in a scene you need to be able to know who that person is in the crowd and this is so brilliantly written and directed you even within the first episode you know who everyone is you know what their relationship is i i'm really sensitive about people saying, like, at the beginning of the first Halo episode, ah, so here's the story that you need to know so far. And it's so... They are all so well-written, and their delivery is so dry and quick, but there's so much kindness in there as well. Like, you mentioned when Jim's... Because Jim is masquerading as a man called Jim until they come out to be someone who is a woman pretending to be a man. And there's this wonderful conversation around table what what everyone else should call them at this point. And the, the poor thing is like sat there and they're saying like, I don't know, like, I don't know any of this. I don't know. And so everyone else has, has a nice chat. And the um, conclusion they come to is that they just want to keep calling them Jim because they like the name Jim. They're like, yeah, I like Jim. All right, Jim. <laughs> like, and they just call them Jim from now on. Yeah, um, that's pretty great. It's, it's so good and it's it does uh it does have a lot of themes that are challenging but it doesn't sort of beat you over the head with them like it never feels preachy it just feels kind and i think that's the really the key approach isn't it is like yeah that's an an excellent way to put it 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 treats every storyline with empathy and kindness yeah even though it's definitely going to be Again, like again, it shouldn't be, but a you know, big ask for some people. Yeah. And uh, it's exactly the kind of story we need to, you know, move the needle for those kinds of people. I think. I hope. You'd hope so. You'd hope so. It's such a fundamental point, and especially in the last couple of episodes, there's, there's quite the, the tone shifts to a little bit sadder in the in a couple of episodes because of people not being able to be their authentic selves. Like they make decisions that are not necessarily best for them. And we see the fallout of this and you just know that this is millions of people's lives is like that sadness where they can't be the, the, the authentic person they want to be. I, it's just wonderful. It's fantastic. And it's just, even with all the, these themes, it's just a brilliantly written comedy, brilliantly acted and with real heart. And, like, and how often does that come along? Like HBO, yeah. I really has to renew this because it does end on a, it, it does open the door for a season two. <laughs> very, very wide. I mean, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that it ends on a, on a 
on a pretty big cliffhanger. Well, it's not really a cliffhanger, I guess, but it is like a place where you definitely want to see more. Like it's definitely, there's not, there's not the resolution that you need or want from the story. Uh, and I, I really hope it gets the second season. I don't know. It hasn't been renewed yet. And the, um, the showrunner was on Twitter this week, basically saying just, they should just renew this shit now, right? <laughs> right? Please renew this now. And I really hope they do because what else is there? I haven't seen anything else like this. Yeah, I mean, we definitely live in a golden age of content where, but it's definitely a, currently a quantity situation, not a quality one. And if yeah. the show doesn't make a big splash off the bat, then that sort of lessens their chances. But yeah. you're right that this, if it did end where it ends, it wouldn't necessarily be satisfying, but it is an ending. <sighs> and so what are you, you, you going to give it out of five? I'm assuming a five. There's no even question. It's been a five, like from episode one, but yeah, it's it's with all the episodes down, it's a five out of five. Brilliant, brilliant show. What about you? I would agree, having seen all ten episodes, that all ten together are a five out of five for me. Yeah. T- definitely took me longer to get on board than, than you did. Yeah, but honestly, I could probably chalk that up to just the mood I yeah. was in the day I tried to watch it as well. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. Because it is, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful show, and it's definitely a five out of five for me. Mm-hmm. So good. So, what have you got coming up in the next week? I have no idea. It's been such a busy week this week. Um, but uh, we'll have something. I promise. It'll be a surprise. How about that? Surprise. <laughs> surprise to us as well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, there is, I mean, honestly, we're at a point now where there's so much stuff in theaters and I still have, don't feel great going to theaters. And oh. um, so we're definitely going to be talking about streaming stuff in the next week, most likely. <laughs> yeah. How um, do you feel about just waiting for stuff? Like, do you feel that the, f- I have massive FOMO problems. Like if something comes out and I want it, I can't wait for it. But how do you feel about, say, say the Batman, uh, are you going to be happy to wait for that just to hit? home streaming like do you feel any need to actually go out and see that film i mean i don't to the same degree that i used to um but you know i definitely i definitely feel like we missed whenever we see it even if we saw it tomorrow we will have sort of missed the discourse for the podcast right it's all about that timing and i feel like there's a couple of movies that we could be talking about this week and next week that we're just not going to have the opportunity to see because theaters are not exactly a non-starter, but they are, it's a, it's a more difficult choice now than it was before for me. I think for you as well. And, uh, you know, the, the lack of home screeners for us is, it's something we can't see, we can't get around and if studios want to do it. It's their, their business. And I, I can't, you know, I don't have to like it, but I do, I do respect that that's the way they want to do business, but it definitely means we're going to be, you know, covering a lot more streaming releases here on the podcast so well the um the comedy what's it called the button the comedy pandemic um, the bubble the bubble thank you not the button that's just come out and that looks so, like something that could either be really good or really terrible but i enjoyed the all, trailer very much all signs point to really terrible so far oh, have there been reviews oh yeah the review embargo on that one dropped a few days ago and it's not good Oh, Hollywood will probably still end up watching it, but it's yeah, it's, of course, it's, yeah, yeah. 
We could always talk about Halo <laughs> again as it evolves. <laughs> So I watched the second episode of Halo, and it was yeah, me too. Not good, but in a different way. So, <laughs> a different way of bad. Yeah, it's a, it's bad, and it's yeah, it just boils down though to that they really don't seem to give a shit about the source material. Mm. Basically, it's what it really boils down to for me. I think if I wasn't a Halo fan, I might like it better. I don't. I still don't think I think it would think it was good, but I don't no, think I'd, I'd be so just so disappointed. You know, I don't think so. Even outside of that, it's not well written. It's not well directed. It's not well conceived. It's not well designed. Like there's, there's... precious little action in this action show too. <laughs> it's it's so like separated from what I would expect a Halo show to be. Yeah. In terms of quality and in like content as well, yeah, which is sure. a shame. Okay, well, oh, well good. Can't, can't win them all. <laughs> no, who saw that one coming? God, what yeah, a mystery! Know, right? Yeah. Well, I think we're going to wrap it up there. So that's a definite recommend <laughs> on both Moonfall and our mm-hmm. flag means death. You yes. can find streaming links for both of them in uh, on this episode's homepage, which you can find in the show notes. Uh, if you've liked what you have heard, you can give us a five-star review on your podcasting platform of choice. We would greatly appreciate that. It helps us immeasurably. Um, and if you'd like to support us a little more directly, we do, of course, have a Patreon as well. Again, linked in the show notes, along with all of our links for the the media's social, which is the correct pluralization of that. <laughs> Kind of like how the correct the correct polarization is. It's a stars war, but that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> oh Jesus! Is it yeah. is it a stars is it a stars trek as well? Though? No, no, it's a star trek, but it's a stars war. Oh, oh, yeah. I see. Because okay. yeah, Star Trek is singular. <laughs> they only go to one star. They only trek to one star at a time, whereas all of the stars are at war. So. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, I, I never considered that before. Yeah. Uh, shocking. shocking. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, as always, <laughs> this is where we say we, you know, we thank you very much for listening. Uh, this episode, uh, we don't write, we just talk. Um, but it's recorded and produced by me, Matthew Simpson, with the participation of Simon. We do it all on the unceded lands of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish nations here in beautiful Vancouver, BC. Uh, and we love each and every one of you very much. It's true. So reach out, say hi, uh, on again. Probably the best way to do that is on the, the socials media. The media's <laughs> social. Whatever I said before, that's the one that's right. <laughs> and uh, Matt will read it because I've deleted all mine again. Let's see how long it lasts for this time. But I'm enjoying I'm enjoying ha- having none of it. Yeah, I mean, I'm Plus. a little bit a little bit jealous, but that's a whole other conversation mm-hmm. yeah, for yeah. another time. Sure Do you have is. anything coming up you want to talk about before we dip out? Or like no. Little... So, I I mean, I am playing, I'm finishing up playing Kirby on the Switch, and I've just started playing Lego Stars War on the um, on my PlayStation 5. So I, maybe I'll do another gaming podcast, but in, in terms of films, I very much want to watch The Bubble. No? The Bubble, right? Yeah. What's it called? And um, I, I ask uh, this because there there is a contingent of people who seem to want another gaming episode. So oh, is that is that a subtle hint? Yeah, I should do that. 
It's yep. uh, I should squeeze that one in. Yes, a gaming podcast will be coming, guaranteed. <laughs> awesome. Well, on that bombshell, let's mm-hmm. call it a day. Thank you so much for listening. We love you all, and we will see you next week on another awesome Friday. Bye.